There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old. Avengers Infinity War draws near. And in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are the Marvelists. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder the God of Thunder, mighty Lord. When lame Dr. Donald Blake strikes his wooden walking stick upon the ground, it becomes the mystic mallet Mjolnir, and Blake is transformed into the Norse god of thunder, master of the storm and the lightning, heir to the throne of immortal Asgard, the mighty Thor. Welcome everyone to the Marvelists, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And first off, before we get into today's discussion of Thor, the Dark World... We are going to talk to you first about how you can find us on them, our social media websites. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Marvelists. You can find us on the Twitter at the Marvelists, at Peter Melnick, at E. Wilson 959. You can also find us on the Instagrams at the Marvelists. We're not on Vero yet, but maybe we will if we can figure something out with that. But otherwise, you can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Share it on social media when we drop a new episode for your listening ear holes. And the other big one, you can also drop a line in our mailbag, themarvelous at gmail.com. And finally, 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 the real finally, 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 you can also go on Stitcher Radio and listen to the show. I'm just doing a lot of dramatic pauses. It's fun. It's cool. So it's dark. Good prep. It is for the dark world. Banging a bongo. Bang a gong. Get it on. T Rex? Sure. Or Trex, like they call Power station, even. Trex, like they called it in uh, Baby Driver. Did they now? Mm hmm. Anyway. So, Eddie, since the last episode happened, you watched Black Panther. What did you think of it? Let I the audience know. I gave it two. Pause up. Well, in my case, since we have two brother, we have brother and sister black cats. Four paws up. This is very good movie. I know some say 
best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, maybe up there. Definitely, you know, if you go by revenue, <laughs> no question, hands down. Sorry, pause down. It is what with or without claws retracted. But definitely a force to be reckoned with in what it set out to do. I know somebody in the audience on Sunday morning when I saw it had said, yeah, they, they've got best costumes that, you know, they're, they're getting that award, if nothing else. And maybe, you know, some scenes will factor in there too for that particular award when it comes time. So, Hey, why not? I mean, honestly, I still want to see it a second time. I haven't been able to go out to see it because. Um, Yes. And, and I want to jump in just to say too, because really with any movie, not just Marvel movies, other movies, you don't get everything. When I was in high school and senior year, I took a film class. Part of what we had to do if we were going to review a movie and write up about it, we had to watch it three times, preferably consecutively. And at that point, it maybe wasn't as big a deal to sit through multiple showings without any theater employees saying, what are you doing? So you pick up more, and I think that's kind of a no-brainer to everybody, you pick up more with uh, repeated viewings. But for me, a little, a little bit of a challenge audio-wise, meaning picking up on the Wakandian accent. So there were a couple of lines where I said, wait, what was that line just now? It may have had some significance, but it just got by me. So if for no other reason to watch it again for that would be, would be good. Yeah. Now, overall, I mean, I, like I said, I've wanted to see it again, but the problem is showings are continually selling out. Like you have to, you know, pre-order your ticket like days in advance sometimes. Uh, yeah. Unless you time it somehow, I, was lucky enough to get the ticket Saturday evening for Sunday morning. And yeah. and what I was seeing, though, because the theaters want to make more money on the 3D showings, which I think we talked about last episode, is you'll have two different theaters showing the real 3D or 3D Plus or 3D out the wazoo, whatever it is, versus regular normal 2D, humdrum, whatever, but that's fine by me. And yes, a couple of the showings sold out a little later in that in the afternoon on its second weekend out. I mean, it's still going to be around for this third weekend and, and possibly a fourth. I don't think there's a, a problem with the only thing you get, of course, when a movie is out longer is limited number of times more limited than at the at the outset. Yeah, so, if I'm correct, Star Wars is almost entirely out of theaters now, for example. And, you know, what, the longer it is, the less showings happen. Yeah. Although I kind of think... They once they realize something is a big hit and people are going to see this, they up the number of showings. Because I remember opening weekend of it last year, there were like a handful of you know scattered showings, and they didn't bank on people going, Yeah, I want to see this movie. So the w- second weekend, there were about 15, 16 showings. Wow, so they know that people want to see something, so they'll be like. Well, let's throw more showings in here. Yeah, that's a smart thing to do. And with Black Panther, which I'm pretty positive we're going to be talking about this movie even like next week, too. I guarantee. Oh, yeah. Because there'll be new statistics out, like how much more money it made, other than, you know, cre- cre- uh, cresting the, what, 400 million mark, I believe, yeah. most recently. But no, absolutely. And, you know, if for nothing else, maybe because of the theater that I saw it in, that you probably saw the same one, how many previews? I mean, definitely, I think a solid 20 minutes of. Of previews, yeah, that's a, usually a given though with Hollywood. They're you know? just putting more in there because I guess now that they know they've got you, let's see if they can get you some more. And somebody again in the audience said, "There's a lot of good movies coming out," and a lot of it I think had to do with 
for example, Deadpool, May 18th, Ant-Man and the Wasp, I think, were the first weekend in July, and there's more, but just those, for example, sure. One thing about this movie that, you know, I find very interesting is how much money this movie is making. Right now, like I said, it is in the top 100 highest grossing worldwide movies of all time. Of all time. What do we know? We didn't talk about this, I don't think. Did Has there been numbers released as to how much Black Panther cost to make? I, be, I believe that there is a number, but if I can, I'll p- quickly pull it up. Just but. happen to think of that, so, you know, these things happen. With Black Panther, it's going to keep going up in the top 100. I would say yep. it's going to hit at least 50 to maybe the early 40s. Okay. Why not? Because it's, it's got that those legs, those... Uh, those panther legs. Those panther legs. Tightly coiled springs. And I don't mean Tigger, because Tigger's bounce. Now, Eddie, Black Panther's budget was $200 million. $200 million. And it has made, so far in the box office, Double. worldwide, $727.9 million, as of this recording on February 27th. It's very much so a big deal with this. And I, I think when all is said and done, we are going to have more Black Panther stuff. We're going to see him more utilized in the Marvel Cinematic Universe than he already is. And I guarantee... He's going to be the major focal point. He's going to be the new main guy. You know, he's going to take over from Tony Stark, or he's going to take uh, over from Cap. Could be, yeah, because I don't know if we if we know who, scientifically speaking, with all the Wakandian tech, you know, okay, his sister, right, is the sure. one who was developing, uh, coming out with the new costume and you know that kind of thing making it bulletproof because it was it's made out of vibranium. vibranium i'm going adamantium in my head i'm going titanium hello i just saw this one yes vibranium and even just in terms of the t- of the tech how much stuff there there was to, to be seen for what was thought to the rest of the world to be a third world nation and you know how they were able to disguise this whole burgeoning city in there i don't in seeing the tech I make a, a little comparison by seeing the lighting uh, that's that's kind of an aura around some of this tech, like some of the, the rings that were being thrown. And that reminded me of, you know, arc reactor, that co- that kind of bluish white. And I'm thinking it's it's along those those lines. But do we know or do we need to know who's behind the technology for, for being there? I don't know. Maybe. Only the shadow knows. Oh, yeah. Okay. I did it for me. Yeah, we needed another hammer strike. You know what? I need another. Careful. We're going to board on a hammeroid attack then. God roids? We're, we're crossing into other territory here. But I, okay, that's territory I don't want to cross that's, into. That's that's not unusual, but you know, get used to it. You know, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we're getting a lot of new innovations with the characters. and Yeah, well, the advancement, the changes with the characters, especially with... There was a change, I guess, just with with Black Panther's uh, headpiece to begin with. Instead of it detaching as a, as kind of a helmet thing, it's now more along the lines of Star-Lord. Press, press a button, it's gone. There's your face. And again, boom, press a button somewhere, it envelops your head. That's true. That's so convenient. And one of the things, you know, that we're also going to be getting is just changing in terms of the stories. Apparently... Director James Gunn, who did Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, and also Tromeo and Juliet and Scooby-Doo, 
Well, James, <laughs> James did a Facebook Q&A recently, and he talked about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And he did say that this is going to be a different movie than we expected. Things are not going to be the same. And, you know, earlier last or sometime last year, he also said with 3 that this is also going to be the last time we see the original Guardians lineup. So maybe that in itself is what will be, quote, different. Yeah. But I guess he didn't expand or elaborate on to what he meant by different. And there's a lot of fan speculation with this as well, because people are going, well, if they do this, are they going to change the tone of the movie? Because remember what we're incorporating, Peter Zoon. He has the Zoon, you know, music device, and it's going to have music, according to James Gunn, from 1980-something, I want to say 86, until 2013, maybe? I don't know. But if that's the case, that's kind of a big deal, and it's going to be a very much a metamorphosis of that franchise, because... Well, if they do change, yes, uh, the, the musical texture, because both Guardians films heavily relied on a soundtrack with recognizable songs, if that takes a different path, then yes, you've definitely changed that part of it anyway. I am excited for that movie, though, not going to lie. Of course, you're Star-Lord. Well, yeah. In your alternate something or other. Also, once before we get into our Thor of the Dark World discussion, we also want to mention that there is fan speculation going around about the trailer for Avengers Infinity War. And somebody on Marvel Studios' subreddit r slash Marvel Studios, I noticed what they said, and it makes a lot of sense. If you noticed, this trailer will drop sometime around, I want to say, we'll have it between March 1st to March 10th. No later than March 10th, because the trailers for Iron Man 3, Iron Man 2, Age of Ultron, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, etc., etc., they always dropped around that time frame each year. And these were other movies, I'm going to assume, that came out the first weekend in May. Correct. So history will dictate that that happens as well. But this is trailer number two? Correct. The first we've seen, it came out first, uh, what, internet-wise and... I mean, and in theaters. That, that was a damn good trailer to begin with. So, But it was known, I think, even before the first one dropped, that there would be more than one. Now, what I want to know is how much are we going to get in terms of the relate, like the cross-pollination of the Avengers and the Guardians in this trailer. Because for those of you keeping score at home, there was a trailer that got leaked at San Diego Comic-Con and D23, one of the two, over the summer. That was the exclusive footage that audiences there got to see. Now, lucky for us, like I said, some brave souls ended up recording this and throwing it up on the interwebs. <laughs> And we got to see, you know, that footage. And what was cool about it was we saw some of the team-ups between the Guardians and the Avengers. Now, could this happen for this trailer? Yeah, it's a, it's a safe assumption, I would think. I don't think you'd be far off the mark if, if it didn't happen. But, yeah, it seems to be definitely what's going to happen. Hey, you know what? Maybe. Here's an idea. Look out. Light bulb just went off or synapse just fired in between brain cells, that this second Guardians trailer picks up where the first one left off with, what was it, Thor saying to the Guardians, who the hell are you guys? And wa and uh, Mantis waving. Yeah. <laughs> Just that gentle little wave. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, too, because Disney does a very good job with keeping close wraps on things, mm -hmm. if that's the expression. Um, keeping things under wraps? There we go. 
close tie. No, yeah, okay. You you know what we mean. I'm like Tommy Wiseau. Jeez. Anyway, Who? exactly. But the who's Tommy? That's my it. my thing Tommy, is. Tommy, can you hear me? Oh, there's actually footage from Avengers: Infinity War that has leaked on the internet, and it's very good quality footage mm. from footage we have not seen. And I will talk to you about it off mic, but. It's pretty damn impressive. And now we're actually going to go circle back over to Black Panther. And some recent tweets resurfaced over the past couple of days. And I got to tell you, they're actually really funny and really interesting to see. So Eric Killmonger himself, Michael B. Jordan, actually tweeted six years ago that one of the roles he would love to perform in is Black Panther. And he put that on himself. Yeah, he said this. Hey, guys, by the way, just so you know, FYI. Yeah. Okay. Six years ago. We'll have to take his word for it then. He didn't get to play Panther, but he did get to play a damn fine villain. And it's interesting because a lot of people are going on about that character that he is on par with Heath Ledger's Joker. Well, it's good that he, first of all, got to be in the film. Yeah. To begin with. To make up for uh, Fantastic. Look. We don't know, you know, if that was recompense or penance or anything, <laughs> but... The dude is a phenomenal actor. Yeah. And so we don't know. I don't think six years ago casting was done or anything to that effect. So he's probably grateful he got to get into it in this capacity. Oh, yeah. But who knows what the list was of people... I'm sure somebody does, and or it leaked, and I just don't know it. So don't well, I mean, pay attention to me. There's a lot of who, people that who you know being was... considered. Uh, well, it, it, I'm sorry, it has to go back to before you know Civil War. I right, and to, to you know get the the Panthers character established from the from the get go. I just find it very humorous that you know you look at you know again. I think I've mentioned it on a previous episode, but just different actors you know that would have played certain roles in the Marvel universe. For example, like, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was originally going to be Star-Lord. So was Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You see some of these people and it's kind of mind-blowing. Like, what could have been? What would happen if these people were, you know, playing the role? If somebody has the money, let's do a what-if movie. I, yeah, you and, mentioned you know, before and that's still something I want to see. That's Yeah, I guess I did. And, you know, come through with several... MCU films, put them in terms of, how was, I was going to say Tales from the Crypt, short vignettes, 15 minutes, let's say, and do a short storyline as and, and at the crucial point as to okay, who, what character is playing what and which direction the story goes. Why, why not? Anything's possible. A what-if movie. Just so, call it what-if. So now, Eddie, let's get over to the main event for today, why people are listening. Well, we hope it's a good reason. I talked over the thunder. That's okay. The thunder's talking over us, so there. So, it's time for Thor, The Dark World. Mamma Mia, what a movie. That's a spicy meatball. Uh, it's lacking a lot of things, and spices uh, is uh, one of them. Oh, my. Well, I think at least in terms of consistency, I guess somewhat... You it, had term loosely. it had yes, Thor. It had Loki. Thor, it had Loki. Yes, but I think the in both of them the opening is the same with Odin doing some opening narration. So yeah, which is nice. We have that, but you know what? It's it's supposed to be a dark film, and whether it's it's understood right away in its totality in the first viewing, not really. 
you know, I think I learned more of from seeing it again this time and really focusing and paying attention and coming up with about, you know, three pages of notes to, to reference and go to and so on and try to make sense out of some of the other things. So this is good you know, therapy. It's cheaper than therapy, actually. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. My thing is with this movie, it's an example of Marvel with sequels. And next week's movie broke that curse, in my opinion. It was a two-movie curse, and we lucked out. You know what I mean? Well, you're you're gonna. I'm gonna have to hold, buckle up here because you just went from the beginning of this movie discussion to what's next. Well, kind of because what I'm going into direct hit. What I'm going right into is these first two sequels that Marvel did, Iron Man two and Thor two. Okay, aren't that great in my opinion because they're trying to find a tone for them, and in many ways you have a lot of comedic elements to this movie. But it clashes very much so with the dark tone that it's trying to also convey. You know? Dark tone in more than just this sequel, Thor? Yeah, in this movie. Oh. In this movie. Okay, okay. And that's the interesting thing about Phase 2. Phase 2 Phase two has a lot of interesting things in that we are trying to f- do different things, new things. Let's mix things up. Okay, those were all comedic superhero movies. Let's try and mix this up, make this... This movie, this kind of genre of movie, but also this kind. And, you know, with next week's movie, we got, you know, a superhero movie, but with a political thriller. Mm. With Ant-Man in a few weeks, we get a superhero movie with a heist movie. And that's what I like about these movies. Like, they try and mix things up. Mm -hmm. But again, sometimes, you know, it's not perfect. It's not going to be a 100% success rate. It's always going to be, you know, every once in a while, you strike out. And... I am going to say this is one of those strikeouts. And again, it's it's fine to like a movie, people. You know, like the guys from We Hate Movies say, it's okay to like a movie. <laughs> but I just feel, and it's funny, a lot of people always point to this as the weak point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And here's the interesting thing. It's still an okay movie. But in comparison to everything we've seen so far, this is a weak hit. The credit score across the board takes a little hit. Not not horrible, but you know, th- you you can try to sh- you know swing for the fences on all of them if it's not living up to it in some degree. Okay, you know there are, there are variables, there are factors. Ones that totally totally miss the mark. We we've hit your you know, the fan four stick, the the Ang Lee Hulk, yada yada. But yeah, it's gonna happen. And here we go. We're going to go through this one. What I saw at the end, realizing, not realizing, this could very well have been the shortest Marvel Cinematic Universe Yeah, about an hour and 52 minutes. Not that it seemed shortest, possibly, but that's what it uh, actually came out to to be as I finished watching and checked the the timer on the the DVR, the, the DVD, sorry. I just think that with this movie... It's again, it's a movie that's trying to find itself. It's trying to, you know, what can I do in this way that I'm successful with in these other ways, you know? Well, in terms of finding, at least starting to to get into the film, we after the old narration are introduced to Malakith, Malakith, Malachi. Played by Christopher Eccleston, the ninth doctor from Doctor Who. Okay. And the ether, which is not the, the, the ether net. Don't be confused because it's got that silent A in the beginning of its of its spelling and described as an ancient 
force of infinite destruction. And at the beginning, I can't tell. Is it a liquid? Is it a gas? Is it a cloud? I can is tell. Is it animal, that it's, mineral, vegetable? Is it blood? It is blood red for sure. It turns into, uh, it turns out to at least start off as. It does take actually several forms throughout the course of the movie, but mostly, yes, it's a liquid. When Thor does try to destroy it with lightning later with the hammer, sometimes it works. Sometimes you can just hope. He actually pulverizes it into, into some kind of gas cloud, but then, I guess upon interacting with the lightning, hitting the ground, you've got now crystal-type pieces rising up to uh, to reform. But you're also introduced, or at least hear of part of Odin's uh, telling about his father, King Bor, I'm assuming is in the animal. And not how I felt watching this movie. Uh, who let Lurch in? And unleashing the cursed, cursed with a K. And and I guess I'm not sure with the subtitles, do, they even, do we even get to know what language they're actually speaking in that we need the subtitles for? Elvish. Elvish It Presley. could be Elvish. Yes, they are fighting against uh, the dark elves. Now, they're not vertically challenged. They seem to be of normal stature and all, but they're pale-faced, albino-ish. Actually, just a bunch of masks, I guess. So the dark elves, go figure. Now, before we get into the, you know this next part, I want to rewind a little bit and go back to Malekith. <laughs> because I feel like he... When I say he, I mean Christopher Eccleston. He was the biggest missed opportunity in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And by the way, if you're at home playing the Marvelous drinking game, take a shot because I just said Marvel Cinematic Universe again for the 90th time. Whoa. But (laughs) imagine how fish-faced people will be if they hear that. Take a shot. (laughs) But I feel like he is the biggest missed opportunity because... You have such an act, a great actor with such range as Christopher Eccleston, and he's great with facial reactions. He's great with his delivery. And what do they do? They throw him, you know, under a bunch of makeup, and they give him a voice, you know, a, with accents and everything. And you don't really get that acting out of him. It's just it's like weird. You know what I mean? It's the same. I don't know his other work, so I can't speak to that. But yes, they put the makeup on. His face is scarred it, throughout the course, getting a little uh, halfway progressively from being hit by lightning from Thor. And yes, his voice, his vocal delivery is definitely deep and ominous. Facial expressions mostly the same. You just know he's bad. He's the one to <laughs> avoid. Gets the e- absorbs the ether into himself. And uses it to fight Thor later in the film. And again, it's just, to me, it's interesting that, you know, out of all of the BBC actors, he was the biggest, you know, uh, misstep. We have David Tennant on Jessica Jones, who was the doctor on Doctor Who as well, and knocked that out of the park. And if we ever find a way to talk about Jessica Jones regularly as like, you know, the shows and everything, they found a way to make me take a character like the doctor and, you know, his portrayal as David Tennant, David Tennant's portrayal as the doctor Mm -hmm. and make me hate the character. You know what I mean? They made me hate David Tennant in a role in the sense of, wow, what a vicious bastard this guy is. Okay. And I loved it. I think that is so great. Love to hate. Mm-hmm. Then you have the actor who plays Everett K. Ross, Martin Freeman, you know, who was on Sherlock alongside Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, 
in Black Panther and in Civil War. And again, great personality, great delivery of everything. And it just it just bums me out that Eccleston, on the other hand, wasn't given that fair shot. And then you also have Idris Elba, who plays, you know, Hemdal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fantastic. Because mm-hmm. of what he is in these movies. He's, especially in Ragnarok, which we're going to get to in the next few months, just phenomenal. So to see Malekith, it does bum me out. And as I may have intimated before, earlier... I have no other frame of reference for him, so I'm just taking him face value in this in this role. How do they, you rank him compared to the other villains that we've seen, though? He's he's formidable, no doubt. You know, you don't want to cross paths with him, and you know, sending out the cursed, the cursed with, I guess, some kind of activated uh, bomb that he can just toss, and and here come here pops out a vacuum of sorts. Because it will suck you into and throw you into another world, perhaps, because the nine worlds are coming into alignment for every 5,000 years, that they're close enough to each other that you can pass through relatively easily. And then when that's finished, no more. So, you know, he's, I want to say again, a force to be reckoned with, not to take lightly. So, you know, they, they, I think for the role that it was, it was good. It was okay. Superior? No. But, you know, I don't I don't know. I just I feel like overall this character just didn't have much of an impact compared to other characters in this, you know, or not in this, but in other Marvel movies. Like, I feel Vulture was a more impactful character than he was. Vulture was a well-established character in the comic books. So fans were possibly drooling to to see how this was going to play out in uh, film. But then again, also, you have other characters, though, like Ego, the living planet, who was not that well-known, but was eh, and just a vicious character. Well, Ego was literally a planet, and that's how it worked in the comic books, because you can do anything, and it's okay. You just follow along, go by panel by panel, read the next page. I just feel like this was a very underdeveloped character. You know what I mean? Like, he could have been so much more, but... Well, by comparison, would you say from the original Thor movie that the Frost Giants were more of established bad guys, villains? Yeah. In all honesty, yeah. Because mm-hmm. there's more motivation. There's more, you know, just more of a... Because I think you got more... You got the same amount of history as to know who they were and where they came from with the opening of Odin, you know, the narration. Yeah. And just like in, in the first... in Sorry, in the beginning of this movie that King Bor, Odin's father, had said in respects to the Aether when they had collected it, assembled, whatever, to, to bury it deep somewhere that no one will ever find it. And, and lo and behold, who somehow finds it, but Jane Foster... Go figure. And the whole plot of her getting the Aether, or Aether, the same thing, but her getting that, that was a very nice touch because it was showing how the everyday people react to this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I liked that. It wasn't, you know, hey, let's give this to, you know, let's give this supernatural power to someone who already has supernatural powers. You know what I mean? I want to see how the average everyday person reacts to this. And giving it to, you know... Jane, that was awesome. That was a very great idea, and it wasn't, you know, making her something that she didn't need to be. And also, you know, you didn't have to try to go through, all right, do we need another character to carry this ether in, you know, a couple of ways? Keep Jane in the main flow of the storyline and not have it be sort of on the side. As it was, she was on the side, sort of, because Thor had to go 
for an extended period of time, joined up with the Avengers at the end of Phase 1, and then eventually came back. And the big part of that reason, we're told in the movie, was because Heimdall could no longer see her. The ether had gotten in her, and that masked her presence to Heimdall, at least. To which Thor got slapped twice. And I, I also feel, though, with her getting this power, it's great because of the fact now we have conflict for Thor. Like, what can he do? And then, you know, you bring her over into Asgard and you end up having her interact with the characters there. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you've, you know, eliminated or subdued the, the conflict with Loki because in the beginning of the film, he's in chains. He goes before Odin. He's getting his sentence to be in the dungeon for the rest of his days. It's... <sighs> I'm trying to think like it's we're also getting with her character a role reversal that Thor had. Think about it. It's, you know, her going over, seeing this whole world, right? Mm -hmm. It's the flip side of him coming over to our world and seeing all this stuff. You know, the culture. Yes. Okay. When you set it up like that. Yes, absolutely. I love that. That is, yeah, that's great because (laughs) she's in sort of Asgardian attire or apparel and, and, and maybe at least in one parental case saying to Odin, who are you? That you know, The way he's speaking about her as if she's not there or, and then realizes and says to Thor, you, you told your dad about me? Yeah, I love so, that line so much. It's just, it's such, such a, a sweet little line. It's a, a little dating kind of thing going on and stuff, right? And speaking of which, I also love that one line where she's talking about, you know, that guy that she had gone on the date with. She got a phone call and you just hear Thor go, Who's so, Richard? Who's Richard? I so, love that. So who's and Richard? just her reaction of, really? really? Yeah. I love that. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, that comes that comes along too there. But not before we, we go from our initial setup in Asgard to Vanaheim, which is, I think, one of the Nine Realms. And bonus points if you, true believer, can name all the nine. And I cannot. But I think they all end in Heim. It's possible. Or Guard. It's <laughs> just this left, right. I mean, no, sorry. That's something else. Um, and we see on Vanaheim, Vanna what? No, we see Lady Sif in the Warriors 3 and Thor against the big gray rock guy that looks like he's going to defeat anybody. And he's just a pile of rocks and, you know, in three little sentences. And there's part of the humor at the beginning and Thor says, hello, and I accept your surrender and smashes him to smithereenies and anyone else? Yeah. And that's, you know, this guy's kind of cool. And one of the Warriors 3, and I forget the name, that replies and says, you know, perhaps next time we should start with the big one. And then the and then the party in Asgard, the celebration yeah. and that, uh, yeah. I, I think there are parts where this movie just, like, it hits, like, the brakes very much. And I think it does it, tries to be doing it to be safe. Well, when you say hit the brakes, you mean like stop changes tone. to different scenes or different parts of the story is that what you mean when hits the brakes or it doesn't continue where you think it should keep going or not the tone but like the pacing okay it's it's very much for a movie that was short it felt longer (laughs) right which i knew was going to happen when we first said how the length of it was yeah like it's a short movie but the it just dragged so then maybe things perhaps should have been shorter at certain scenes instead of trying to make them longer? Maybe. That might be the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you... it, it's not... Like, the funniest thing is this. Like, you're playing in the background of the movie, and, like, it's it's got its action scenes. And actually, you know what I think this might be? Because I'm looking at it right now. Color might have actually played a very big deal of why it's such a polarizing film. 
it's very much muddy hues. If you notice the scene that's going on right now, it's like right now it's like like muddy pea soup green. Yes, because you're on the we're on the dark world now, and that's just the overtone. That's the sky. You know, you may have some light in there, but it's clouds, and the the landscape is just that dark, not oily sand, but it's just 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 very very dark. And yeah, it's, but this, this you know is... that was that was the intent, maybe maybe too much. This is the thing, though, that the Zack Snyder, you know, DC movies are guilty of. And that's, you know, the dark colors change. Like, they might affect the, you know, the mood of the viewer, too, to an extent. Absolutely. Color has an effect. Absolutely. And, like, that's why, like, the Guardians movies are so successful, because they use the neon colors. Like, the scene where, you know, the scene where Peter's getting his, you know, Walkman back. Just bright, you know, purples and everything. And it worked for the scene. How about the colors of the rainbow bridge? And when Thor brings Jane to Asgard, you're in that, you know, vortex of it being all those colors and so on. Does that seem more colorful? Did that seem more colorful in this movie to you? Or seem to be a, an uptick or a brighter spot in, in the movie? I don't I know. I would say the same as like, you know, the rainbow bridge scenes from the previous film. Because you knew what that, you knew what to expect there and yeah. what it would look like. So, okay. Just happened to think of that. Yeah. But I mean... They they also have a bit of a problem in this movie with establishing the relationship between Thor and Loki. Like, it was perfected in the first one. Mm-hmm. And it kind of hits, like, a bit of a plateau in this one, you know? Well, some of that comes later, and I'm not sure if I just had to go along with it or figure out how Loki was able to keep going, perpetuating, changing. He's the trickster, so, okay, maybe you just have to assume he found a trap door to go through before he got terminated or just was put out of existence. My thing is, I had a conversation recently, you know, in regards to the, in Thor Ragnarok with the relationship between Thor and Loki. And the way it worked best was the characterization of, you know, apprehension. I really don't want to do this to you. I really, you know, I do kind of like you. You are my brother. You know, I liked that. Mm -hmm. And in this, it's just, oh, Loki's a dick. Well, have, you know, it just reminded me of in, in Avengers when they all get together, the superheroes, and negative is being spoken about. Loki and Thor pipes up and says, have a care how you speak about him. He is dangerous, let's say, but he is my brother. And Black Widow says he killed 80 people. Uh, he's adopted. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know. I, I like I like stuff like that where it's, you know, the quick little comebacks to that, you the know. The quips. The quips mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. We like clips. We like quips, too. Quisp? That's the Elma Fudd quip. What about Quisp? That's a good cereal. Yes. Almost resembles the corn chip. Fritos, perhaps. No. It's sugary versus salty. Never mind. Imagine. What if those came together? Wow. What would that be? Never mind. Sugar and sweet. Next best thing besides chocolate dipped potato chips. Have you tried those? Yeah, they they can be... uh, a mouthful. They can be a. They can be uh, addicting. But I didn't say chocolate dip. You know, bacon. I've seen people do that in a, in an ice cream as well. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Wow. We stray. How about we go to London now? Here we find Jane Foster and Darcy and Doctor Eric Selvig is on the TV because he was streaking in Stonehenge. So here comes the yeah. rest of the characters and seeing these, I guess, three kids that uh, Jane and Darcy go to in this abandoned building where something is inside it's invisible where you can place objects down you know uh, however many stories of this building and they kind of disappear and they phase somewhere else they show up somewhere else 
Well, for me, with these characters being utilized in this film this time, I like that they did a bit of a repeat from the first movie. That was great. Mm -hmm. It was the element of, you know, the comedic relief and the jokes again, the jokes land every single time my personal favorite moments in the movie were selvig in the uh insanus or the uh the institution it leads to honestly one of the most underrated stanley cameos why would you say underrated it's a, it's a stanley cameo and it's memorable for hey here's where he is in this film i haven't thought about this cameo though in years that's the thing because of the movie's overall uh, impression so part of that which eh. was kind of a maybe it's sounding like a highlight is overshadowed by the it could be lackluster film but yeah. i just i just love his usage of yeah can i can my question is can i have my shoe back i love that it's something funny that you know with that character you get the the stanley character you get you know that little uh, bit of lightheartedness and you know an otherwise dark kind of film well the funny and, another funny odd part too to to continue along is the fact that jane who didn't think she was gone but apparently it was, and she found the ether, and apparently it found her. Came back. Darcy says, where were you? I had to call the cops. You were gone five hours. And it's not raining around Jane herself. So perhaps this is the ether, I assume now that I'm thinking and talking it through, protecting her from, from the elements. And again, like I said, slapping Thor, where were you? And typical, although valid, typical of a relationship when the male is being confronted with a question like that where were you the, the bifrost was destroyed the, the nine realms erupted into chaos wars were raging marauders were pillaging I, I had to put an end to the slaughter all that stuff yeah in fact it reminded me of the blues brothers with Carrie Fisher and John Belushi having a scene, they had a relationship, it is assumed. You just left me, and John Belushi says, There was an earthquake. There was a fire. I couldn't start my car. My, I couldn't find my keys. There was a famine. Oh, please take me back. You know, I, all those excuses, yeah. I, I just love the usage of the Earth characters. I think they, in my opinion, they were what was missing for me for Thor Ragnarok. When I really think about it. Mm -hmm. And when we get to that, you know, that episode, we'll get to that. But I think the usage of the, you know, human characters builds such a great bridge for this character of Thor, you know? Yeah, exactly. Side note, one of the excuses that Thor had said, I had to put an end to the slaughter. I, I just realized what I had put as a note. I put in quotes up all night, the, the song by Slaughter. Well, yeah. And you don't want me to go and pitch up, do you? You can if you want. Up all night. <laughs> Sleep all day. Okay. I love how... <laughs> Give that a thunder peel. <laughs> I like That's not go, any other appeal. I, don't, I like how I go, sure, you can do it, and immediately you went into it. <laughs> I know. I don't need I don't need uh, any uh, incentive. It's I, all good. I'm my own motivator. But we, we get to see how, you know, I was just thinking in a similar tangent to, to Pepper having the armor on her and extremists from Iron Man 3 that Jane and the Aether repelling the London coppers and and Thor then of course yes taking Jane to Asgard and Darcy saying holy shit you know. it's kind of funny that we see the sequel universes they the love interests get you know that one moment where they can be they can be super powered you know yeah and would you say like i i think the love interest, you know, with Agent Carter, she was already badass. So she didn't need that transformation, you know? Yes, that's that's correct. She had training. She was in the military. Technically, 
Captain America is the inverse of that because he's the love interest and he ended up becoming cool on his own. You know, he became <laughs> badass. So it's it's one of those uh-huh. flip side kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's this next point I got to just say that I called it Malekith Land because they do name it on the screen and it's another one that ends in Heim and it's Svartalfheim. S-V-A-R-T-A-L-F-H-E-I-M. Svartalfheim. Yes. Malekith Stephen Sondheim. Malekith Land. Land. <laughs> and that's the only time you need to worry about it because I don't know if anybody else is going to, you know, remember that. And, and the line that... If Odin... you lived here, you'd be home now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good... Okay, sure. Let's drop that one in. But um, we get to learn a little bit about some of these relics, actually, the more a little bit about the ether, and this one again being in liquid form. And Odin saying there are there are relics that predate the universe itself. What's in her, meaning Jane, appears to be one of them. So, from where Odin speaks, you know, predate the universe itself. Whoa, that's like way way back. Talk about a flashback. And uh, then we see how how to make a new cursed cursed if you will and and again in whatever whatever language maybe it's malekith fish right language or malekithese sorry that's more appropriate i guess so fast forward to another funny thor line when the prison break happens in the dungeon the cursed is one of the prisoners who breaks himself out breaks the other cells and lets other prisoners out and and thor comes down and just you know says you know Return to your cells and no harm will come to you. You have my word. Somebody attacks him very well. You do not have my word. And and, and then another relationship twist with Lady Sif and Jane, who has been brought to Asgard, exchanging a look. And I drew a little cat face next to it as if to say, the two of them are, are you know, their, their intuition or something, suspicion is going up because apparently they're on opposite sides of being Thor's love interest, perhaps, or not. More than just perhaps. Frigga and Odin exchanging a kind of a funny line by him saying, despite all I have, excuse me, despite all I have survived, my queen still worries over me. And then she says, it's only because I worry over you that you have survived. So she's asserting her her place. And, you know, for herself, female power, if you will, kind of thing. And then, of course, the, the memorable lead into the Stanley cameo and Selvig in the institution explaining the convergence and all the realms I believe, as he as he calls it. It's beautiful. It's simple. Any questions? Yeah. Can I have my shoe back? Now, what I want to know is, do you think these scenes, the comedic scenes, help lighten up everything for the long term for the movie, you know, overall? For the long term of the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You need those moments of, of brevity, uh, I think, in any serious and, yeah, even in a dark... Because if it was set up to be a dark film, and, and it was... And if you even took those parts out, then I think you really would it would really seem to drag on longer. But but to break it up a little bit here and there. And I really didn't think it was all that all that bad. I'm kinda of going along with what I'm hearing through from yourself, from others. It was, you know, not a high point in the MCU. So fine, but keep those moments of bre- of, you know, brevity or comedic I think they are important. They're very important. And it's kind of funny because I consider this movie the Marvel equivalent. And this might get me a little bit of uh, flack Flack. from fans. This is the Marvel equivalent of a DC movie. 
Oh, when you really like, think like about insert it. any DC movie here kind of thing? Kind of like, you know, Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. Oh, that colon. Uh, Man of Steel. I would, and especially because this came out the same year as Man of Steel. Uh, okay, tangent alert or sidetrack. Man of Steel versus Superman Returns. Superman Returns. Better? Yeah, because of the fact it was, it's... I've actually never seen it, but I've seen bits and pieces of it. Mm -hmm. But Man of Steel is just trying to be a darker version. And Zack Snyder misses the mark on what Superman is supposed to be. He's the big blue Boy Scout. Mm -hmm. What do they do? They make him, you know, dark and brooding and without that level of hope, which is ironic because... That's what the symbol on his chest means. Yeah, and that whole scene where they make a big deal about that. Although that movie does have pretty damn great scenes the shot of you know him with his uh hands in the handcuffs i love that scene because when i saw the promotional material that didn't even cross my mind that oh he could just break those stupid things why is he why is it why is he you know whatever and you wouldn't see that picture you wouldn't picture that scene picture that picture superman in handcuffs how can it be it's impossible yeah you would never think to see that or if you were to wear you know a tutu you would never want to see that. Oh, you'd never but, even but, think of it. But it's just one of those things of, oh, yeah, he is wearing those. Uh, why didn't he just break out of those? Oh, wait, he just did. Yeah, right, right. But anyway, I it digress. It gives you pause. Exactly. But what, you know, I think with this movie, like I said, this is the closest of what a Marvel movie could be with a style of the DCEU, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's a shame, but, you know... This, I feel like this is a movie that Marvel is using to learn their lesson. They're like, okay, what don't we do? And okay. they take certain elements of this and like, okay, don't do that next time. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you've noticed, this is, no pun intended, the darkest movie out of all the Marvel movies we've seen. They really haven't made a movie where it's, you know, a very dismal looking, you know, color scheme. It's usually bright, vibrant. The closest I would go maybe is Civil War because, you know, that's representing war, you know? Yes, and it's not to be interpreted as something positive because it's internal and not a good thing. War of itself, of course, not a good thing, but internally. What is it good for? Tearing it. Yeah. Absolutely Absolutely nothing. nothing. Say it again. Don't. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So Thor visits Loki. As we progress, they're forming an uneasy alliance. When do we start? You betray me and I will kill you. That line comes back a couple more times. And another comic aside that Loki, as he can do, being the trickster, can change to a guard and then changes Thor into Sif and then changes himself to to Captain America. And, you know, man, that scene. Want to have a rousing discussion about truth, honor, patriotism? I love that. I thought, you know, that's also just an outsider's perspective of how they see these characters in that universe, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I like that, you know, even, you know, to the outsiders, the villains, Captain America is seen as that big Boy Scout, you know, just that over-the-topness of, you know, ha, gee whiz, you know, that. Ah, shucks. (laughs) I like that. And it shows that, you know, these characters seem this way, but he actually is a much more complex character. It's just they're not giving him the credit he deserves, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, and, well, Loki gets a little bit <laughs> t- to him because he gets slapped by Jane when they see each other and says that was for New York. He laughs it off and says, I like her. And I think I think this 
regardless of the lack of progress with the relationship between Loki and Thor, this is a very strong performance of Tom Hiddleston. Matt, he... He gets more, what, screen time, more lines, bigger role, perhaps. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely, you know, has a lot more memorableness to himself now. Right. And... He didn't need, you know, New York, you know, the whole Battle of New York or everything. He just did his own thing in this. And, yeah. Well, again with Loki, Sif to Loki, betray him and I'll kill you. I mean, Loki's response is, good to see you too, Sif. One of the Warriors Three. If you even think about betraying him and Loki finishes, you'll kill me. Evidently, there will be a line. So to play it out three times and third time's a charm. Okay, so we're done with that little thing so the feeling is all is all there we're establishing what's what's happening and on the uh, we go to the dark world where there is some trickery which we don't know about because now you have thor side by side with loki thor removes the handcuffs and and loki stabs thor with a small knife as is the fashion cuts off his right wrist a hand rather at the wrist and wants Tells Malekith, a good seat from which to watch Asgard burn. Back to the subtitles and that Malekith-ese language. Whose side is Loki truly on? It's questionable. And then we see Thor's hand come back after the illusion of, I guess, a different Thor was projected to make it seem like he was the real, the real one. So there Loki comes through because when Thor yells, Loki, now! The battle ensues with Thor. Malekith, who has now ingested the ether, slaps away Meow Meow. How dare he? Haven't seen such worse hammer treatment. Well, the worst was, of course, in... MC Hammer in the uh, mid Ragnarok. No, when... When, when he tried to do... Hello, the goddess of death shattered it. That's That was the worst treatment of this enchanted Uru hammer. Ooh, when was the last time we said Uru? I don't think ever. You are you. Uru. Yes. A lot easier to say than Mjolnir, perhaps. But where it looks like the Cursed is now engaged in battle with Thor and is about to just pulverize him, Loki impales Cursed from behind, to which he turns around and hugs slash impales Loki. And then somewhere out comes this red handheld grenade time bomb, and Loki says, I'll see you in hell, monster. But it seems like Loki dies, and in that scene, you know, he, even his his face and so on, he's he's fading, he's, his life force. He seems to be actually somewhat decomposing. Yeah, I can see. I, that. I looked at I looked at that, or I saw that a little closer, and I said, well, "Wait a minute, what's happening here?" And of course, supposedly he dies another time. And, and that's again, he's not really dying. It's just you know him being quote unquote the trickster as he is. Right. And even you know even in death, he's playing a trick on us all. He's like Andy Kaufman. If you believe. They put a man on a spoon, man on a moon. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. And what's on that spoon? I'm sure it's something nutritious. Potentially. So then we get Jane and Thor in the cave. They, She gets the cell phone. It's Richard in London. Do not hang up. Find the keys that were sent through in soda can. And, you know, we're seeing how... That's going to be some cell phone bill, I guess, from 
crossing the world with Richard. But we're, you know, getting close to that component where the alignment is still happening or not for much longer. And then they're able to find the, the time world warp back to London. That was where we said, so who's Richard? Really? You know, we, we've got all this going on and you want to talk about Richard? She, she, wanted, to talk, she wanted to talk about Dick. <laughs> wow. Let's talk about, mm-hmm. baby. That could be an edit. The other thing now with respect to Loki is back on the dark world, you see this encompassing, form encompassing, somewhat greenish light that overtakes, I guess it's an a, a guard or a soldier from, from Asgard who reports to, to Odin. And then it's found with Selvig's help. The, uh, the point of the convergence is going to be in Greenwich, not Connecticut, but in Merry old England. Manchester, England, England, England. <laughs> and here appears Malachus' ship. Such a funky-looking ship. It's a funky cold Medina. It's, uh, yeah. And it just runs ashore in, in that courtyard. And the student who's in the university, when they're being told by, by Jane and Selvig to get out, he says, that store out there, he's waving his hammer around and everything. Then when the glass shatters from all the windows, yeah, it's a different story. And... Just like it reminded me of a Rocky Horror scene where the, the I'm calling it a, a trans world hopping frenzy where two of the characters pop up right in front of the other two characters. That is Darcy and Ian, Darcy's intern, pop up right near Jane and Selvig. And you go from Darcy, Jane, Ian, Selvig, meow, meow, as it goes I, flying by. And that reminded me of a Rocky Horror thing. Rocky, Scott, Brad, Jane. Rocky <laughs> with the fortune cookie. But yeah, man, just like, again, those moments are so helpful to this movie, you know? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. The next portal, the next fade transition had to do with Thor being knocked to the ground. Jane trying to help move him because that big, big ass ship is coming down, but actually goes into a portal that Jane has... You know, that scientific concoction of a big controller sort of in holding in two hands, but is able to to phase that to go to the dark world, which is where Malekith is, and that kind of lands on him, smashes him, and he's he's out of the picture. So Sel- oh, Selvig had done that, sorry, and, you know, holding the remote, says, everybody okay? And we're, we're all good there kind of thing. But then Thor is MIA again, and with, with Odin saying, I'd rather be a good man than a great king. And Odin saying, you know, one son who wanted the throne too much, another one who will not take it. Is this my legacy? But it's not Odin. It's dissolve, change, fade into Loki, who says to Thor, no, thank you. Referring to Thor not wanting to assume the mantle of the throne. And yeah. there's the end of your film. And then we end up getting the post credit scene involving... Sif. The mid credit scene. Let's go with that one oh, first. Oh, yeah, let's go with that one. Yeah. And again, one of the Warriors 3, I just can't get Voltsteg right from the other two, but Sif and the large one who like to eat. I'm going to say Voltsteg. Going to the Collector with the ether. And that was a scene, you know, it, it ties into Guardians of the Galaxy, two films from now. Yeah. And it was very much a stark die, you know, a contrast that, you know, you can see in regards to that, you know, that scene in this whole film in general. Like, you already get the vibe of what Guardians could be with this, you know? You can, 
if you're looking back at it now, because otherwise you don't know where it's going because you don't have Guardians at this point. But just, just to bring it full circle by it being said, it's not wise to keep two Infinity Stones so close together because the Tesseract is on Asgard. And the collector saying, I can assure you, it will be absolutely safe here in my collection. The Asgardians depart and one down, five to go. This is what the collector does, but you know he's going along with the fact that yeah, not not safe to keep the stones too close together, but he wants them all, and you know so does Thanos. And it's going to lead to some very interesting stuff, you know, that we're going to see in the upcoming movie, you know, with the character of the you know the collector, and could we see the collector in a future film? Uh, you never know. I think we probably should. We haven't seen this character all that much. The most we see have seen the collectors in the first Guardians movie, I believe. And it's it's such an interesting character that, you know, doesn't get the uh, attention that he really deserves. Maybe in a sense so too with Ragnarok is the Grandmaster. Who are both brothers. Yes. Yes. They're of that is it Eternals? Am I thinking of the wrong I title for so. them? Okay. Then, yes, then they, they are. But now, to, to what you said, the, the post-credit with uh, Jane in her apartment, kitchen table, Selvig is there, Darcy is there, Ian is there, and then you've got your, your thunder outside and the vertical rainbow flashing up and down kind of thing. Thor appears, he's back, he's on the rooftop, and, and I guess what came somewhere through with him, uh, one of those dark world beasts that's chasing a flock of birds over across the rooftop and... And there's your kind of funny, funny ending. And the ending that says Thor will return. That's it. One hour, 52 minutes, done. Now let's get into the ending. Obviously, a lot of you have heard already how I felt about this movie. So let's go first off into the ranking. I give it a two out of five. And it rests comfortably at the bottom of my ranking. And it was really hard for something to beat Iron Man 3 last week, but here we are. And I was hoping this would be a better movie, but that was not the case. It rests comfortably at the bottom of your ranking. Well, it's better than it ranking comfortably at your bottom. I, <laughs> Potentially. But I, I think what this movie had problems with was it was trying to find its identity. And was it trying to be, you know, this super serious mythical movie yes but it was also trying to incorporate levels of humor which did work but it's interesting the comedic elements worked perfectly the mythical elements however i feel fell flat on their face and it just you know total total waste of talent with eccleston who could have been such a great villain and instead he's just you know whiplash is much more memorable than malekith Yes, I agree. There was more of a tie with Whiplash to Vanko and Stark being the inventors of the arc reactor and so on. But, you know, I, you, I know you're established again, Eccleston, underutilize it. But again, separate, but you got to try and separate that because I have no choice, but I don't know any other thing from him. So if you're coming into this not knowing what else he did, you just got to go with what the character was. And that's what you got out of it. Mythical, I know you said, falls short, falls flat on its face. I don't know how much more we could have expected from a mythical part. The comic stuff, yes. On point, hit the mark, no problem. Those are memorable. Those are good one-liners, as is the Stanley cameo. I think whatever he's done, Stan makes 
his mark is in his cameo. And he's played several varied characters in his different ones, which, you know, we hit one at a time when we go back and look at and review. And that's another thing that should be out is a little mini vignette of all the Stan Lee. And there was, at some point, all the cameos together. You know, and just keep adding on as he can perpetuate and keep going with the line of films. Go, Stan, go. Exactly, right. You want my number? You Mm -hmm. want my ranking? Three and a half. Three and a half? Yes, my lowest score also. I still have hope out for it and still have faith and go along with what they've done in, you know, another tale of Asgard. My thing is I don't see a rating any lower than this for the foreseeable future Mm -hmm. because almost all of the movies... Right after that, it was knockout after knockout after knockout. Yep. So I do feel this was their movie where they learned, okay, hey, we made a mistake. This didn't work out so well with this. Let's try and do something different, but also something that can work. Yeah, enough said. And Thor definitely will return, and so will we, because next week, what episode are we going to have, Eddie? The film will be Captain America, The Winter Soldier. It's the movie that broke the streak of the quote-unquote bad sequels from Marvel. And what I like about this movie is it was the game-changer for Marvel because it showed, hey, we can do this and we can do this in terms of genres. So I'm definitely excited for uh, next week's episode, and I hope you all are as well. So let's get into our rankings. So for myself, coming in at... Number eight is Thor The Dark World. Number seven, Iron Man 3. Number six, The Incredible Hulk. Number five, Iron Man 2. Number four, Captain America. Number three, Thor. Number two, The Avengers. And finally, number one, Iron Man. Eddie, yourself? I'm going to go to my book. (laughs) because it's time for another question. We don't need my rankings, I don't think, this time anyway. It's going to get more difficult for me, and I can't do this off the top of my head regardless. Or do we want to make it a post-scene, so stay tuned for that? No, let's just do this, and then we can get into our social media plugs. It's obsessed with Marvel time, kids and kitties. And the question comes from the 2500 Test Your Knowledge of the Marvel Universe 2008 book. We have to go to, as the middle mini computer tells us on this book, question number 975. And this falls under the category of the Avengers. 975, and it's always a multiple choice of A, B, C, or D. 975 says, ooh, almost on a tangent, coincidence, for sure, coinkydink, to what next week will unfold. Who did... The 1950s Bucky later become 1950s? That's what it says. A, Flag Smasher. B, Winter Soldier. C, Grand Director of the National Force. Or D, The New Nomad. Again, if you missed it, who did the 1950s Bucky later become? Flag Smasher, Winter Soldier, Grand Director of the National Force, or the new nomad. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a new nomad, wasn't it? Because there's two different versions, yada yada yada. That's where I'm losing focus on this question. So I'm gonna have to try and channel my inner instinct and come up with a name. 
and a guess. Do you have a guess? I'm going with the new Nomad. Because 1950s Bucky is different than 40s Bucky because they were... That's my thinking of Clue, 1950s Bucky. Yeah, Yeah, there were two different ones. So I would go with the new Nomad. All right. We were lucky on this one last episode by both saying the same thing. I'm going along with that. And the answer is correct. Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) Damn, we're good. We try. So now, before we go, how can people find us on social media? Well, I'm glad I asked that. Go on facebook.com slash themarvelists. Give us a like-ski on there, and thank you to us of today's recording, 227.18. We have over 700 likes on there. Thank you to each and every one of you that has liked the page and given us a listen. Sweet. Go on Twitter, at the Marvelous. Give us a follow. Follow myself at Peter Melnick. Yourself. Follow me. Follow you. Genesis 1973. E. Wilson 959. Your musicologist on duty. That's M-O-D for short. And also you can find us on Instagram at The Marvelous. I share some pretty dank maymays. And you can also find us on an email address. Drop us a line. TheMarvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters. We'll take them all. What's a dank maymay? I don't think I want to know. It's... It's it's quite complicated. Ugh. But you can also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a five-star review if you're liking this Here Fine program. And let the people know that you like this show. Share it on social media. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Instagram. Share it on... Sharon. Any of those. Who? Vero, if you're Carter. using that right now. But also listen to the show on Stitcher Radio, available for all iOS and Android devices. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior!